Wordsworth, welcome back to the We Going In podcast. You are the official first guest of the relaunch. As you know, we've taken a bit of some time off and you're just coming off your birthday. So first off, happy belated. And how did you spend your birthday? Man, uh, I spent my birthday at work, one, so I was teaching, and uh, I got home, my wife made lasagna, which is one of my favorite meals, with turkey meat in it, ground turkey. Yeah, so my wife had got this pepperidge farm cake, that um, vanilla with um, coconut on it, coconut, like sprinkles, shavings, I should say, and um, I used to get that. When we when we were younger, whatever the case we used to get there, you would always get. So I just cut back on that for a while, and so that was kind of cool to have that. Yeah, usually um, my wife gets a Caribbean dish for me, oxtail peas and rice. Again, dish for my birthday. That's kind of because I don't really get uh, that meat like think So that's kind of like my one of my few times. But that's one of that's actually my favorite dish is oxtail. So it's like one of those things that I try to make a, a celebratory thing to do. And then after that, um I was doing homework and you know, I'm back in school, so I was doing some homework for that and then um I just kinda chilled out. That sounds like a great day. Did did your students know it was your birthday or did you keep it did you keep that quiet? I kept it quiet but mentioned it during lunch and then my students knew but i'm pretty i'm pretty just low-key about that type of stuff in overall because if students know it's your birthday the first thing they do is you know obviously the happy birthday but then the second question is like let me guess how old you are right did, did yeah you, just... you know <laughs> you know it that's you know that's what came as time went on i was like just delaying it like yeah i'll tell you when we get upstairs for lunch i'll tell you in a few have they ever guessed and you've just been like i can't but like how like how could you possibly guess that so like just to give you some context when i was turning 33 i asked my students how old do you think i am and one of them said 50. oh yeah they're always kind of pretty uh but i never confirm it i just like oh close 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 Man, that's, that's the best, though, um, having having a birthday, man. And you talk on fragility of life, just the importance of having that ritual celebration of a birthday and what that means. Do you find, like, everyone in your family kind of has their own ritual for their birthday? Um, Everybody in, in, in this family has been more now. My wife is a family, and they do a lot of rituals, so I've kind of adapted and adopted their, their style and we go out. We all go out to eat, and I think it's just that we're all older and understanding the value of things more. So all the kids are pretty much grown up, and everybody's getting older. So time is, you know, is there, but it's also becoming more valuable and priceless. So now we just all go out to dinner. So Saturday we have a dinner reservation for all of us. It'll be about like twenty of us out one time. That sounds great. And congratulations on the release of your young adult novel, Socks. Um, that's a huge accomplishment. 
Um, how have you been feeling so far just having that book be available at this point and just seeing the reaction from folks who are reading it, sending it through, you know, on Instagram or TikTok and just seeing that that people are, are getting it, reading it, enjoying it. What's that been like? Uh, I got, you know, thank you for helping the, the edits, you know, coming through in the clutch for us, too. But um, it's been exciting. I think, you know, it's a long journey because I had the idea for and I was going to do it as a movie script, but I figured I had more success or, yeah, more success just writing a book because there's no one that can stop the stop me from releasing the book and getting it out to people. So I felt excited about getting the book done so that more people could read it as opposed to finding an agent for a script and then trying to do this and that. It's too much, so... I'm excited seeing people real receptive to it and surprised. I think most people are surprised that it's actually a hundred I think they thought it was gonna be like five pages and it wasn't and it's not. So yeah, I'm starting to see people find it and seeing that uh I'm able to write in a whole other arena. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Like what was that process like for you and how did it compare to putting songs and albums together? Well, I knew that it had to be something that was logical, um, something that I think made sense, something that was very descriptive. I knew, I just knew like a lot of the key components that needed to be in a, in a book for kids that, that um, I wanted to hit on all those notes. And then having a co-writer, Darnell Wright, he's actually a comedian. And he, he's actually a comedian in real life. So him being able to add some humor in places I wouldn't have thought um, worked out. And then Lamar Richardson was the illustrator. So just writing it together and I was able to kind of, we were able to play off each other. So some places where you might find humor, I might not. And some places that um, I might find humor, he might not. So we were just able to get a good balance through it. And um, that's what helped help get the book together, though, is the fact that there was a lot of give-take to get to the final product that we knew would be, um, let's say, it would be, I think, fulfilling for people to, to buy it and be like, man, this is actually a pretty good Your words, you there? You're, you're kind of cutting out a little bit. Oh, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. You hear me? Yes, now I can. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Um, and as far as going back and forth on the edits and really working with your collaborators, what was that process like? And in, in terms of developing the, the plot line and the story all the way through? It was difficult because we had so many iterations of the book. It's, you know, so it's totally different than when we, we did the first author's copy that you can kind of get and see what the book looks like with a cover and the manuscript in there. So we had to go from, from like the first version and reading in the first version. And then once I read the first version, I was just like, OK, this is it's in that, but it's not there yet. And then as my co-writer would write stuff and then 
I may write stuff, and we're going there adding stuff into the book, but we're not really keeping each other abreast of what's happening. And that's when things can get kind of foggy. So um, luckily we were able to find moments where we, we would actually meet and actually read through the book together and then discuss certain things. But at the end of the day, fortunately, he he also trusted my vision on it because he knew it was something I started from the from the jump, and he he trusted that um, that I I was making edits that made sense. It was hard to cut stuff that he wrote that he liked, and even me going back, I had to cut stuff that I probably probably wrote previously, and I had to go like this don't make no sense now. You know that's mm-hmm. how books are, and I think. I think that's the thing. That was his first book that he wrote. That was my second book, but also I write constantly with music and other things that editing is just part of it. You know, I I can take some edits if it makes sense. And I edit my own stuff so much that I'm, I have no uh, concerns about the editing process. Was this editing process more just, I, I guess expansive than when you're editing songs or even like when you're writing about your music, like, like you did for what words are worth volume one. Yeah. Because when you're putting out a book, everybody is reading it for grammar and syntax. When you're writing lyrics for your songs, nobody cares about how it's written. They care about how it's heard. So it's two different worlds. So, yeah, a book is more eyes on it. You got people that's going to read the book that are professors such as yourself or English majors and language arts teachers and reading teachers. So you don't want your colleagues to look at it like that's on all these errors. And then you got the regular world of people that read every day that are like trying to make sure it's logical. So there's a lot of angles that you have to try to worry about and then at some point you just have to be happy to happy that you've done what you can. Hundreds of books out there, thousands of books out there with a period probably in the wrong place or something like that. I mean, or something's wrong in the book and somebody hasn't caught it or they catch it later. It's just perfection in a book is it's 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 close, but I don't know if it's actually a reality. No, I I hear you on that. And it's like for every book that I published, I can open up to a page and see something that I wish I had changed, or if I could put out a new edition, you know, I would I would do something differently. So I know yeah. exactly what you're saying there. Um, when you think about this story too, it follows Russell Asak trying to get back home to his kid and there's a lot of like different challenges Russell encounters the the um to get there what what did you want like kids to take away from this book like if if you could boil that down like you know um to your young readers what what did you feel was most important for them to get out of socks um there's several themes in there there's the theme of um missing home and and wanting to be home and, and the love and joy of being owned uh, and loved and being somewhere. So like Russell being a sock 
and his owner, you know, Brandon, he, he loves he loves the fact that somebody cares for him and, and takes care of him and believes in him. And then also you have Holy, who also is trying to find home and um, feels kind of abandoned, but now finds a he can feel like he fits in. Um, there's a lot of different themes in there that it, that it hits on that deal with things that people go through every day. And did you find that some of the experiences of your students also played into what you wanted to include here and, and that your time in the classroom influenced any of the writing in any way? I would say the books that they choose had some had a little bit of impact on me as far as um, making sure I had a hardcover copy. That's something that students like. They like grabbing a hardcover copy book. So I wanted to make sure that we had a hardcover copy accessible. Uh, I see a lot of the, the books they read have um, illustrations in them. It's not full flood, full flood, well, like a full fully illustrated books, like every page, but they'll, they'll have books with, you know, something that has an image in it that attracts them to it. And then just overall, just um, some some type of character cover that they, they would be attracted to, I would see from books that they picked up going to the library. So it also did help give me some instincts. Um, I actually, before the book came out, I had two co two different covers two different colors of the cover and I surveyed it with them. And that's how I decided on which cover to go with the color. Nice. That's awesome. What, what do your kids think of having the book out and, and the fact that their teacher is the published author uh, in, in the young adult realm? Oh, they love it. They, they saw it early on. They skimmed through it. They skimmed through the first version of it. So it's totally different now. But they love it. I'm actually looking to get it um, ordered in my school. But first I have to, um, have to let my principal read it and see if he finds it cool enough to to order and, and add to the school library. And then um, hopefully the district will, will find it in their, in their heart to, to um, order some copies as well. I mean, that that would be amazing. And you have plans to make this a series as well, right? So this is just the first piece of, of this story. Yeah, we would like to um, have adventures for each sock, having their own own life. Um, so Susie having her own life, um, Holy having his own life, Flashlight, Fred, everybody having their own world because they all ended up in the uh, lost and found, but they, they had prior lives. They had people that, that cared about them. That sounds amazing. So each story is going to kind of uncover a different character's backstory and, and who they are. Yes. Yes. Each story, it's about backstory. It's about, um, maybe even what they're currently doing. It all depends on the angle we, we want to take. That sounds amazing. And you also released your album recently, Fragility of Life. 
perhaps one of the craziest things I saw you post was right around the time the album dropped, you were scheduled to do an interview and the outlet you were supposed to do the interview with hadn't even listened to the album. Um, that was that was a bit surprising to me. Not totally shocking, but still a bit surprising. So, yeah, so sometimes you just end up getting people, get, finding people that interview you, doing, doing them a favor. And it doesn't matter the way it may seem, even though they're doing you a favor, getting you press. But if the press person isn't interested in your product or your project, it doesn't really do much. And, and I mean, how does that interview typically go for you? I mean, it's it's one thing to to kind of just answer generic questions, but I mean, you can probably tell when someone hasn't done their research. I'm guessing it, it probably comes comes through pretty quickly. Yeah, I just try to get through the interview and, and just kind of uh, just elaborate on what the album's about to be my best, be my own salesman, my own, you know, pitching stuff. Uh, I've done sales before, I've worked retail, so it's just about selling my own project through the interview. No doubt. Well, I feel like you're definitely a lot more courteous and polite than a lot of guys would be, you know, in situations like that, always handling it with with grace um, and not not putting their business out there like that. Yeah, because, you know, I don't know the deals that were cut for that person to interview me. Um, and then if I do get somebody that just asked to interview me and they don't know what's going on, I definitely would just let them know, like, you're the one that wanted this interview, so you, know, you need to make sure next yeah. time. No doubt. And what I love about Fragility of Life is the way that you look back on life, the way that the the, the songs are filled with hope. Um, calling attention to social injustice, corrupt police. Like, there's a lot you're saying on this album. Yeah, I, I mean, I bring so many aspects into just how perspective of life that um, makes life such a fragile thing that you have to value. So I try to touch on that, um, um, you know, being grateful for waking up every morning to, um, you know, um, let's live your life. The theme record at the end about just like understand that my parents are aging and I'm getting older. So it's just been, it's just really an album about understanding where you are with life and having kind of like a, a talk with yourself. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's a big that's a big piece. I mean, and I think you you do all that so well on the title track, the fragility of life. What was the writing process like for that song? Because in some songs, you do a great job of of storytelling, and it's clear that you're making up a story, right? That it's a fictional story meant to prove a real point. But in the fragility of life song, you're really putting your own life really out there, and you can tell that what you're saying is really about you and that it's not storytelling for the sake of storytelling. So what was that like putting everything you put out there about your parents aging, about your own um, situation and thinking about like how when you're young, you think you're going to be young forever, which we all think, right? And then 
you know, you you just did a great job, I thought, of putting that all into a song. Yeah, that was a, a special song when I heard the beat. I just felt like it was something that could conclude the album. And I just wanted to write about what was going on for a person that's in their 40s. And not just being a rapper, but being a person. What are you dealing with? And majority of us are dealing with some of the same things just off the basis of we're aging and reflecting on what we've accomplished, what we've done, our parents. And um, you start to really reflect and, and realize where things are. So it was very important for me because I'm talking about my family on there and then my daughters are singing the hook. So the whole song in, in general is really a family oriented song. That's amazing. And you also have your wife on there as well. I mean, the album really does. I didn't, I didn't realize your daughter were on there as well. So that, that's, that's really cool to be able to look back and see your whole family on that album, I bet. Yeah, it was, it was definitely one of the things. The last song, Fragilia Life, it wasn't intentional. But then when they came up with this hook, and then I was just like, it needs something there. And I said, you know, let me get them on a the project. And then it definitely is a full circle album. I think it's my best album to date overall. It might be my, my best. I think it's my best album overall to me personally. And um, yeah, I'm just happy that I was able to knock it out with, with the family. That's, that's really cool. And, and to hear you say that, you know, there's a lot of fans out there that really also love mirror music and to, they, to, to a lot of fans, that might be your best album. What, what do you think if you had to put these two albums side by side and look at where you were when you were putting mirror music together to fragility of life and everything you've experienced in between from becoming a, a father, a husband, uh, raising girls who are now in high school and college, like, how would you compare those albums today? Yeah, the fragility of life would be mirror music at this age. That's basically what it is. So what, whatever I wrote around that time for mirror music reflected that age and what I, what I wrote now for fragility of life is a reflection of this age, but they're both um, very personal. So like Be a Man on the first album, very personal record um run where's he gonna run now very a lot of stories that were very personal stories and storytelling so the evolution from that album to this album i think this album is really just pinpointing um my life dynamics and what i see and what's happening and um in a way that artistically and production wise i think sonically it's my best sounding album too from a mixing standpoint mastering shout out to andy rodriguez like the mixing and the way the album even sounds is it's, it's just better than everything i've put out thus far the cohesiveness why do you think that is what what exactly changed in terms of like the sounds you were looking for the mixing the engineering between Fragility of Life and your previous albums? Um, I think one producer, so having Kells with the heat, with the production, but his production, I think it sounds 
it sounds a lot more live instrumentation. Sounds like there's a lot more live instrumentation involved with it. So that helps out a lot. And then a lot of the a majority of the album has no samples. And that was intentional too. I wouldn't I wouldn't get tracks from him if it had a sample. I would be like, nah, I'm good on that. Because I want the album to have the duality to it. I want the duality of it being able to you listen to it, but also I can pitch it for TV. So that was intentional. So the sound and then um a lot of the albums, I would think, if I if I think properly, some of the albums, if not all the albums, were mixed by the producer. And sometimes I think that can be a little. Um, sometimes it doesn't work out because the producer is very focused on how their beat sounds, and they may take the artist's vocals for granted sometimes. So this time um, I had Andy Rodriguez who mixes for a lot of big entertainers and artists. And that's what his focal point is. He's, he's into mixing. And um, I felt like he was the person that can get the sound to where it needed to be. And what's really cool, I think, about this album and about just your work in general over the years is that you always bring back, you know, people you've worked with in the past, like Master Ace, Pearl Gates, but you're still working with new people and still uncovering new talent and making new connections as well. How important is it that you have that balance on your albums of folks you know, but also new people to work with at the same time? Yes, yeah, it's, it's always important to, to find new talent and try to figure out how can you use their talent to help them get exposure and understand the process of making music. You want people to have an understanding of um, how they can contribute, you know? You want people to be able to feel like um, when they make music with you, it's not just only making music, but it's an experience to learn from each other. So I'm excited to have new people um, helping out with an album every time I work on music. Um, I'm, I'm looking for that because a lot of times you'll find also people that can contribute to the sound of what's going on today that can help out with making sure the music um, sounds, sounds relevant sonically. And something else I really loved about Fragility of Life was the teacher song. You know, you know that I, you know, I'm a public school teaching vet, you are, and I felt like you did a really, really nice job of like, not just capturing teaching in general, but like the nitty gritty details of what teachers go through and how overall our mission is, like we get into it to help kids, but all of the, the red tape and the time commitments that like take us away from that actual work and just like the exhaustion of balancing like school life and and home life like overall i just i thought you did a really great job with that um what's been the response so far to the teacher song and what was your real motivation for for writing a song like that yeah i, I mean i've been teaching for seven years and there's so much that teachers go through that I don't think people understand. And then I think sometimes teachers don't have a platform or nor do they have a voice or someone that can convey it 
in a manner that is artistic and not offensive. So I felt like I would be the best person to to um, share the plight or the, or the ideas of a teacher and all the things that they go through and are concerned about that uh, administrators may not think or people in a higher seating position may not think about what teachers are going through. Because a lot of times I feel like in education, um, you know, teachers are taken for granted just on the basis of, you know, they have to pass tests very fast now. It's like, yep, test pass these tests within the next year or you need to have this test passed. And it's like a lot of teachers are career changers in which if you're a career changer and let's say you've been you've been um, whatever a doctor for for your life all this time and you want to become a teacher and now you're seeing things that you haven't had to really rely on now you got to take a test to teach students and now you're just kind of like turned off to teach just based on the test so i think you should you know if you're going to teach a certain subject yeah you know but like they got people taking tests for subjects that they're not even embarking on in the classroom no that's that's real and i feel like a lot of those standardized tests are really driving students or driving teachers away from the profession in so many ways. I mean, in, in your subjects, you don't have to really deal with standardized tests too much, right? Like you don't have to deal with the state requirements as much, do you? Um, we do have, um, we have the FAST test now. So instead of doing like a big test at the end of the year, now we have um, three tests. So we have one in the beginning, one midway through, and then one at the end of the year. So they changed it up. Um, so they are standardized tests still, but it's just a different way that they um, give them out. It just feels like more and more tests are being created, right, and implemented, and like more and more of these, you know, quote unquote accountability measures for teachers and students. That's really taken away from the time you probably have to just do really cool work. I would guess. Yeah, it, I mean, I don't mind. I don't mind the the assessments and things like that. The way they're doing it now, kind of like it maybe more. You get a beginning, then you see midway where they are, and then at the end, because I think it allows the progress monitoring for it. But um, I think you have to test. You have to test them to see where they are. But also, I think you have to converse with them to find out if what they're learning is actually in the path of where they're choosing to go. So I would say like for me, algebra and stuff like that. Yes. You know, I learned they had to learn it, but then I didn't kind of go into a position of, of necessarily needing it. So I kind of think we need to do some more research on, on guidance of the, um, the courses that students take. And, and explaining why and how it correlates to what they may choose to do. No doubt. And I, I, I think that's such a great point. And, you know, with you teaching in Florida and the way that there's so much of the, the Florida state government trying to dictate everything you can and cannot say, and, you know, using, you know, critical race theory is this boogie monster in the classroom that, is you know quote unquote you know indoctrinating kids and all of this how, how do you deal with that as a teacher and not shield your kids 
from the truth of what's actually out there and what the world is really like. I just don't really fall into fall into any of that. I go in the classroom and do what I'm there to do, and um, those type of things don't don't really come up. Those are just like I honestly feel a lot of those things are like boogeyman things to get political points and votes. So let me find a new boogeyman to to get people to vote for me. And I don't worry about that. It hasn't been anything that's affected me in a classroom. I just feel like you just teach teach what you're doing, do what you're doing. And you get and and and, and you know you're doing a good job, right? When you get left alone, right? When administrators aren't in your room all the time. It's either if they're there, you're either doing amazing stuff or you're doing terrible stuff, right? Yeah, I think that's really it. You just kind of just just do what you do and don't let anything sidetrack you. When you start seeing things that's going on on TV and disputes like that, a lot of times that's not even um, something that's really trying to, not something that really concerns what you got going on in the classroom. It's more so um, trying to find an argument to divide people. And something that you were really very, very supportive of that that I really appreciate was the PH book that came out, um, Rock, Rock, Rock On, um, from the early stages. You were one of the first uh, people I actually interviewed for that book, and you helped connect me with other people for the book, and you were just super supportive. So I really appreciate that, especially now that the book has been out since April. So looking at the book and just your support of it, why did you feel early on that a book about pH was just so important and, and something that needed to happen? Well, I, I thought it was more so about what pH did after we got older and like um, you could say our times of being at open mics and everything started to dwindle. And we started getting up in age to a point that he had to reinvent yourself and he reinvented himself on the battle scene. And he started getting no notoriety as a battler and, and showing that he was here to 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 prove himself as one of the greats. So I thought the fact that he showed the dedication and passion to prove himself to be one of the greats forever, it was only right to show that if somebody represents the passion of what we're talking about hip hop is, he was one of those icons. It's worth um, contributing. No, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you also have your own book series out, What Words Are Worth. From what I understand, you've got a volume two in the works. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I had started a volume two and I was going to do the Our World Today album. But then I felt like I think the next one I'm going to do, not even think, the next one I'm going to do is the Fragility of Life album. I believe that'll be it, the next one. Um just because I like the messages on there and what it's about, I think it's the latest album. It kind of can coincide with it. And then I also have another book that I'm working on. And that book will be, it's not a lyric book. It's just more so um, another story book, but I'm looking for it to be more along the lines of same thing, maybe middle, middle school, high school kind of, and, 
that one I'm looking as well to hopefully become a, a TV uh, film. So that one, um, that one I started writing as well. So I got all these books sitting here and stuff. It's just time. So I'm spreading time. I'm actually back in school too, uh, working on getting a master's in leadership. Um, so I got a whole bunch of things just brewing at one time and um, just try to stay focused going forward. Also got a, uh, um, like a master class module on at the University of Miami that I licensed. I actually licensed the uh, a curriculum to the University of Miami and I did the modules and I actually was watching them today for approval. So that, that's that's the most exciting thing for me probably right now that people don't know that I got going on. That's huge. And that's a curriculum you designed for college students. Yeah, it's actually four four part four modules that I created and based on my way of writing and I got, you know, I have them copyrighted and I license it to them and it's a open it's a non-credit course so anybody in the world can sign on pay for the course. I believe the course is $200 for four courses. And you pay for the course and I teach you about how to write rhymes, freestyling, organizing your rhymes, coming up with songs. I mean, I remember when I wrote it and then I remember when I filmed it, but then to see it back today and the editor, Gonzalo, man, he, he man, when I say he, he took it to a whole nother level than what I could even imagine, um, it's just game changer for me and I can't wait for people to see it as you know. So I was just, I was in awe today watching them, just watching me instruct people and the graphics coming up and, and, and just knowing I wrote every word I'm saying. And it's like, it just, it just felt, um, it was surreal to watch him today, to be honest with you. It was surreal. Cause I did this in January. So we're talking about almost a year ago. And, you know, you just kind of like, all right, I did it. Are they messing with it? Is it like it? And um, and then you're also like, did I say everything I wanted to say? Did it come out the way I want it? Is it going to work what I wrote? And then to see it and it actually flows like, man, I surprised myself, to be honest. That's really cool. Congratulations on that. That's huge. And it also sounds like, you know, in your master's program, are you looking to become like an assistant principal principal one day? Are you, are you, are you, you think you're heading down the administration route as the yeah. next step? Yeah, I have to. I have to because um, I think I've seen a lot as a teacher and then my impact goes, my impact is just, I think it's on a bigger scale. If I, but I have to be in different places that had a big impact, right? So, like getting this University of Miami thing, I took a chance at doing it, and they were like, "Yeah, this is fire!" And so it's like something nobody's ever done or doing like that, like on the scale of what I'm doing, and that's higher than that's where I want to be. So I'm up here. I created the curriculum at the middle school I'm at, and I'm doing it only for me, but. I understand the business of this as well. So I'm teaching it there and I I feel like I've gotten that mastered. So it's like, I need to move on because I would like to spread the curriculum maybe throughout the district, spread it to other parts of the world, things like that. So I just feel like um, 
I, I got to make sure I'm doing anything to maximize my skill level to have a greater impact to sharing the culture. That's great. I can't wait to see what you do next there. And, you know, I'm not going to let you go without asking, because this is something I'm personally super excited about, is the project that you talked about last time we spoke with Superstition. You know, you two have done so many songs together over the years, and, and so many different MCs have invited both of you to be on the same track together, even though, like, you've never been an official group or anything like that. So the fact that you're doing an album together has always been really intriguing to me. So I'm just curious, is that project still happening? Do you think, you know, how far along are you two on it? Um, I think, I think it'll happen. I just think right now we, we, we put it on whole superstition, got the beat bullies. I was working on fragility of life. I'm working on books. He's working on music. Um, I think this at the right time, right place, or, if somebody has interest in it, then me and him will move at it. Me and me and Super look at it like now, like we do music when we kind of want to do music. There's no real like rush for us to do music like we used to because we we actually have nine to five jobs. So we love our jobs and we also love the fact that we can explore other things. So we're not gonna rush the music just because people may want to hear it. We feel like Let's take our time making the music. Let's make sure we got time with our families. You know, we're able to do other things, write books and do all these other things and not spread ourselves thin just because we're trying to please people. So, yeah, I think it will eventually come out. Um, but, you know, time, let time, let time, you know, hopefully, hopefully sooner than later. I also have an album with P.A. Dre. I have a whole bunch of songs with P.A. Dre. So that album, that album probably be out before the one with Super. Man, so what's your secret to balancing your time and making sure that all these projects, everything you've got going from your professional life as an educator to being an artist and a writer and everything that you're doing to make sure that you're able to do everything and that these projects don't stagnate, but that you also have the time you need for your family. Like, how do you manage your time and like, keep track of it and keep, keep these projects moving forward without feeling like you're sacrificing from another area of your life. Wake up early. <laughs> That's really it. So I wake up early, you know, if it's a Saturday or whatever the day, I'm so used to waking up six in the morning that I wake up six in the morning every day. So I'll wake up six in the morning, then I'll write and do whatever I got to do. And then by the time the family works, wakes up, then I can deal with the family. But that's really it. Waking up early. So I think if I can keep that going, that waking up early, I'll be able to stay and sustain productivity because you watch movies and TV shows and things like that. And it's always when people get older and they're older, older. They're able to like wake up early. They may grab a newspaper, you know, you know, digital device at, at this stage, but they grab their tea, coffee, and sit there and just think and ponder and enjoy life. And I want to just make sure I'm waking up early, getting things done. So that way I have my me time and I can mess with whatever I'm doing. So that's really it. I would say that's the that's the thing, the key to success is waking up early. 
No, it's great advice. And then thank you for taking the time to, to do this. It's always great to catch up with you. And Fox is on Amazon, hardcover and paperback versions are available, full color pictures. Fragility of Life is on all streaming platforms. So Wordsworth, thank you again. And, and I'm glad we got the sound quality fixed. Zoom seemed to do it. So I apologize for my internet connection being, being funny, but it's always great to catch <laughs> up with you. Yeah, nah, man. Anytime, man. It, it happens. So it is what it is with the sound. It's all good. I'm glad to catch up too. <laughs>